Well, peace and how the hell are you? What's going on? It's your man Headcrack. After Hours Podcast, Episode 5. Now, I know some of y'all are probably saying, Damn, Crack, took you a long time to come through with this latest episode. But y'all gotta understand, it's just me. Like, it's me doing everything. Like, I, I do the interviews, I track down the guests, I uh, chop up the interviews, and then I have to find other interviews to put the content together with. So sometimes it takes a little bit of time so I can give you what you need to proceed with your life. And this time around, hopefully I ain't gonna disappoint. Now, according to the Innocence Project, about 2.3 to 5% of the people who are currently incarcerated right now are innocent, which if you do the numbers, that's about 120,000 plus prisoners that are currently serving time for crimes they didn't commit. And if you want to relate that to pop culture, it's probably the same amount of people that all the Kardashians, Kareem Superhead Stephens, and Black China probably slept with throughout their entire career. Which brings us to our first guest, a guy by the name of Colin Warner, who is also with Lakeith Stanfield. Now, a lot of people might know Lakeith Stanfield from the TV show Atlanta. Uh, you also might remember him as the first dude to get abducted in the movie Get Out. But yo, dude is an amazing actor, and he's actually playing Colin Warner in this movie that recently came out called Crown. Heights. And in that movie, they talk about just that. A man who gets wrongly accused of a crime and spends nearly 21 years in jail before he's exonerated. When you think about how many people end up getting life sentences or even possibly executed on death row for crimes they didn't commit, it's a sad, sad situation. But fortunately, Colin Warner's story actually had a happy ending somewhat, and you get to see a movie about his life while he's still living. So, on the flip side of that, I talked to one of my homegirls that I work with who goes by the name of Lori Flowers, who's going to give you some tips on how to get a job, whether it's a situation where you've been recently incarcerated and gotten out and you're having a hard time getting reacclimated into society, or you're just a regular Joe Schmo who needs to brush up on their job interviewing techniques and needs some extra skills so you can land the job you want. So hopefully it was well worth the wait, and I welcome you to the After Hours Podcast, Episode 5. Now, the name of the movie, Crown Heights. Uh, for those who don't know uh, geography well, you know, it's uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, this is based off an actual true story, which is awesome because we actually have the man in the house who the story was based off of. Now, Colin Warner, for people who don't know who you are, know your story, what happened? This is Colin Warner, people. And basically, I was kidnapped off the streets of Brooklyn, New York, Crown Heights, and falsely accused of a murder, convicted, and sentenced to 15 years to life. So Crown Heights is my ordeal within the New York State criminal justice system. And on the actor side of things, this brother that you got playing you, I've seen you adapt to so many different roles and just be a different guy every time. Lakeith Stanfield is actually playing Colin Warner in the film. What really drew you to this role? I come across a story because Matt Ruskin, the director, sort of started fashioning it based on a story he had heard on a, on a separate show and decided he was going to take this story and try to bring it to life. So in the early stages, it had come to my awareness that, you know, this had even happened. I wasn't even aware that this happened. And that was part of the thing that propelled me to want to be involved with it because I was like, how can you be ignorant of such a, a large, big story? And so I dove into it, got into the script, and I was like, damn, man, I got to, you know, I would love to really be a part of this. And then I saw a photo of Colin, and I was like, oh, shit. This makes sense, man. I can definitely see it. And, I, you know, I felt like the story should, should reach more people. So I was, I was on board as soon as I found out about it. It's just insane what actually happened. So, you know, I had to be a part of it. And the crazy thing about stories like yours, Colin, is these things are still happening every day. And, and fortunately, you're here to be able to tell your story. Some of the obvious questions people may ask is like, what's running through your mind the night that you get picked up and locked up for something that you know you had nothing to do with? 
Confusion. I mean, right now, I'm like, my story is story for thousands of people who didn't get an opportunity like me, a chance. At a second life, at clearing your name, at not accepting a label that was given to you. So, it's a struggle. From 18 to 39 years old, I fought and never gave up. And I asked him, brothers, in, in my similar situation, to don't give up. Family members, don't give up on your, on, on, on your people inside because it's rough. You know, what he just hinted on is something I forgot to mention that drew me into the story was the fact that in the face of all of this sort of uh, prosecuting the negativity that was around him, he maintained his innocence and he maintained a positive um, disposition. And he tried to, you know, maintain a strong, willful mindset within the environment that he was in, which wasn't easy. And, you know, if anything is indicated by this new weather situation that's going on, it's that the environment could change at a drop of a dime. And we don't have control over that. So what we do have control over is the way that we react to uh, external stimuli. And it takes a strong-willed person to be able to do that. And I, I respected the fact that he did that. And, you know, I, I wanted that. I felt it was an honor and opportunity to be able to walk in, in the shoes of somebody like that because there's not a lot of people out here like that. He could have said he was guilty several times. You know what I mean? It probably got our way sooner, but he's like, no, I'm going to stick to my guns and stick to what I know is true. We spent a little bit of time together. Um, we didn't spend too much time, but we spent a little bit of time in the pre-production process. And really, I was just listening to him, listening to his story, listening to him talk. Listen to him tell me, you know, his story. And I just sat back and listened. And then we went, you know, to a lot of different prisons and stuff and talked to some inmates. And we did our own independent research with that. Matt Ruskin, the director, like, sat a big, like, bag full of material, all the court transcripts, whole bunch of stuff. So I just spent a long time going through that. Worked with a vocal coach for the accent, me and Namdi. And we just, you know, saturated ourselves in the material um, over the course of probably a couple months in the pre-production process. So when we showed up, we was just like, all right, throw the wig on, let's go. Now one thing a lot of people may not know about the movie Crown Heights is it features the acting debut of Namdi Asamoa. Now for those who don't know who he is, not only is he a former football player, but he's also the current husband of Kerry Washington. So, uh, you know, he took classes, learned how to act, and also helped produce the film as well. So of course, being his brother's first time out, the streets obviously want to know how he did. He was great, man. He, he just really thrusted himself into the material and really just went, you know, up and beyond to try to make sure he was faithful to what we were doing. He acted as a producer and an actor, you know what I mean? Just really made sure stuff got done. And he was writing me letters outside of, you know, outside of being on set, you know, creating that dynamic that was what would, would be similar to Colin and Carl's dynamic. So we just developed a really good relationship. And I looked up to him for just jumping in head first into this and just going for it and using some of that football mentality and bringing it to the film and making it feel like, you know, we're really a team in this. So it was dope. Now, Mr. Warner, typically when people get a story made about their life, they are no longer among us. Now, watching this, you know, and especially being that it was something that... Um, you know, it was such a dark time in your life. Did it open old wounds? Or is this more like a therapeutic thing, you know, now that you know you've gotten by it? Like, you know, how, how does your mind process it as you were watching the film? Well, it's more therapeutic. And I'm telling you, um, my life has been filled with stages of differences, right? Right now in my life, I could see, I could say that um, during that 21 years, 
was meant for me to reach more people, right? And people may say, hey, this boy is crazy, right? But sometimes we can't explain a lot of things that's going on in our lives. We just have to accept it, ride with it, and try to do the best we can. Right. So I'm telling the audience right now that um, if you feel anything about this movie, what I would want you to do is to move. Move in any direction but a positive direction, right? And keep on moving and hopefully things like this, what happened to me in 1980, we can say, ah, that was a thing of the past. It don't happen no more. Yeah. When you get out after being in for 21 years, what was the biggest, I guess, change or thing that you were like shocked? Because a lot happens in society within a matter of years. Like, you know, when you get arrested, Bob Marley's alive. When you get out, he's gone whole bunch of technological advances. What was the biggest change that you noticed? Well, the computers were, the, were foreign to me, but the, the tongue itself did not seem to grow. It seemed more run down, mm. right? The people seem more afraid. Everybody's afraid of everything, right? So I guess it's like two errors you go in, I'm going into. But I'm just praying that, listen, man, I fit in a little bit and make some changes because there's a lot of help that is needed out there. We can't do it by ourselves. If it wasn't for the efforts of Mr. Carl King, and that's a brother who, he's, he don't fit into a proper description. But what I can tell you, he showed me what it is to be human, right? And... Being human, part of being human is, is looking out for the, another human being. Gotcha. So I am here because of Mr. Carl King. Salute to him. I guess like, one of the takeaways from Crown Heights, I, I guess, would be how do we prevent things like this from happening again to other people? We live in a world where we have a judicial system that's really more so about putting numbers on the board, yeah. more so than convicting the right person for the crime per se. What do you think we can do to change what's happening currently? We need people to go to work. I tell myself that we have a lot of professionals whose profession is doing nothing. Wherever we live at, whatever communities we are in, we need to get involved. We are voters, we are taxpayers, our vote count. So go do something. Go do something, feed somebody, house somebody, say, tell somebody hello, good morning, right? But the idea is to keep moving and only thing, the only thing can be accomplished is when this movement is being done. So that's my little advice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the, it's self-explanatory, the proof is in the pudding. If you're sitting there and you ain't doing nothing, then we're not making no headway. Um, that's the worst kind of injustice that you can do is sit idly by and allow folks and fucked up shit to happen and not do anything. Uh, you worse than the person that's doing it to the person because we need each other. That's a real thing. And that's what it is to be human. We all live in one life. So if I see somebody in a in a down position, I'm supposed to try to help them if I can. And the same thing I expect from people around me. It's like, you know, that's our responsibility to be human. And, and if you don't do that, then and then you're part of the problem. So and it doesn't mean you got to go do some big shit. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, we need to feed all the kids on the street and go give a dollar to everybody who poor and go knocking on all the prison doors. And get You don't got to do all that, right. but do something. 
take one little step, one little thing you can do, and you good. Even, even if that's just being on a platform speaking out, like how I'm doing now. Right. Part of this movie is part of that's my activism. Be telling telling this story, getting that shit out there, doing it the way that I can do it. I can't do it uh, the way the next man could do it, or he can't do it the way I could do it. But we all could do our part. So it's just like do something if you can, say something if you can. If you up in a million microphones, say something a little bit real sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, and then you know you're doing your part. Now I be having all types of debates with people, especially in this current climate which we're in. Like you know you look at it with uh you know what happened with Colin Kaepernick, and a lot of people are like, hey man, you should be playing football. The NFL is no place for you to be speaking out on that sort of thing. But the thing is, he's doing his activism within the confines of his profession. And more people watch football than anything else in the world, damn near. So why not use that platform? It's not like he's doing it in the middle of the game. Like most people be at the crib when the national anthem is being sung. You're getting some beer out of the fridge. You're not sitting in front of the TV with your hand over your heart. So for him to do that just to get the conversation going, I think that's him participating in activism within the confines of his platform and the way you guys are doing it through the confines of your art. And I hate that, you know, Colin Warner, you had to live it in order for us to be able to even tell his story. But the blessing is the fact that you're here to be able to tell your story. Yeah, and ain't that the case, man? Sometimes if you want something to get done, sometimes you got to interrupt people's conventions. And people are so sensitive now. You can't say it, do nothing. Now you say people more fearful. Yes, way more. Oh, it's the worst time ever. You you touch something, they're like, oh my God, you've upset my, you know, my little boundary that I've created for myself. But all them boundaries are made to be broken and and all these little sort of boxes that we put ourselves into are made to be questioned. And if we don't question them, if we don't kind of, you know, scale the line and push things a little bit, ain't nothing going to get done. We can't exist in a safe world where dangerous shit is happening. What do you feel like people are most sensitive about? Man, it's like, what are the easier question is what are they not offended about? I think you could find anything and point to it, but it's just because people um, assign themselves and their identity to items and things that aren't real, uh, labels and, and ideas about themselves that are superficial. So if you assign yourself to that, then you open up yourself to be um, not only defined by it, but attacked by it, broken down by it, and you know all of these other different things. So we keep attaching ourselves to all these little superficial things because we don't have no sense of self no more. So I can be anything. And because I could be anything, then I can be hurt when you say something that goes against. And it's just, we're going in the wrong direction with that. So it just takes introspection, going back into oneself and realizing, you know, there's nothing that's not you. And it's embrace, we, we just embrace everything. Come more, more with an embrace it, uh, embrace approach instead of an abrasive approach. That makes sense. And then I think, you know, we're kind of moving in the right direction. But yeah, it's because there's something good about the sensi- sensitivity if it's used in the right way. Mm-hmm. Because you could be sensitive to what your friend is feeling, to what people around you are thinking, and that's a positive thing. But if you're sensitive to the touch, you're sensitive to, to judgment and things like that, it may cause you to not move. Because if you do any move, you could be judged. <laughs> yeah. You know, then you're just sitting there stagnant. Yeah, so. it, it really represses people's personalities, opinions, and thoughts. Yeah. Um, Colin Warner, when you get out, do you move back to Crown Heights or do you move? far away from New York as you possibly can. But eventually I did move away from New York. Where you live now? Georgia. What part? Oh, I mean, top not, secret, top okay, secret. Okay, cool. <laughs> in, in my head, I'm thinking of a place that starts with a C because my granddad, my step-granddad's Jamaican and he lives there as well. Yeah, okay. It's a beautiful thing that, you, you know, you, you guys do have a story to tell. Where, where do you go from here? What happens next for you? Just continue my life and pray and hope that we, we get up, man. We get up. You know, this, this this event that happened to me was horrendous. It's not only happening to me. I'm just a voice. 
So we all know what's going on, right? Sometimes we have we maybe have to um, get a little push, but the young brothers and sisters, man, I'm just praying that they find that path early, you know what I'm saying, and contribute, not only to themselves, but to the community at whole, you know? Indeed. You you yeah. live the life that most rappers would love to rap about. I know. Like, you lived it, you know what I'm saying? And I'm glad you're here to tell your story. Look, yeah. Keith, uh, in addition to Crown Heights, we're definitely looking forward to Atlanta season two. You guys ain't even like said action yet on the set, have you? Nope, we ain't said action yet, but we will be going very soon. And you know, the cool thing about it, I got the first two episodes already, so I'm already seeing what they're doing, which is crazy, which I'll give you a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. I won't give you a little bit of it. But I will say uh, throughout the show, we touch on some really real things you know what I mean like if you look at season one and you look at some of the implications behind some of the things some of it was kind of like what we're talking about within the you know an industrial prison complex and, and the jail system how people are treated and how if you w would say proclaim your innocence in a situation like Collins they would just think you crazy either think you crazy or think you lying or, or put some medication on you or some others they don't treat criminals even if you really did the crime to rehabilitate you, it's more just like, let me just hold you right here and shut yeah. the shut up and sit down and close the it's door. It's like a big penalty box. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Like, if you get convicted of a, of a violent crime, maybe I shouldn't put you with other people who have done the similar violent crimes because who's getting helped in that situation? Yeah. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but prison apparently doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And they understand that to the point where they've turned prison to a business. And once again, it's not about making these people better. They create a cycle which makes it to where you end up back there. They make mm -hmm. it hard for you to get jobs. And, and the crazy thing is, he, he, uh, I think uh, the guy who's on the camera right now mentioned um, that this was a black film. And to some extent, I got to say, he's, he's kind of right about that because this is much more a black issue than anything else. Because out of all the people that, that, that sort of get wrapped up in this kind of stuff, the more likely you are, much, much more likely to get wrapped up in this if, if you're black. And that's just the reality, the situation. And people want to uh, point to statistics and things, but they don't want to point to the environmental factors that make this have to be the case. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to point to the legislation from the top, which is in this movie as well, how the administrative like branches and stuff directly affect the youth and the places where this kind of stuff can happen, especially in the 80s when it was popping and it was just rounding people up. You know what I mean? You just get swooped in that. You're much more likely to get swooped in that if you black because you already a criminal before you even get up to the court just by virtue of your skin color. So we got to fight against that as well. Break down them boundaries. And, you know, we've been fighting for that for years, but we got to always just stand up and say, like, look, I'm black, but I don't mean you could put me in a box. And things going back to Atlanta, like Atlanta, remind us of that, that we can just be human. And you could be weird, you could be whatever you want to be, but you're still black at the end of the day. And uh, that's not a crime, you know? I think one of the most interesting lines from season one of Atlanta is when you asked if you could measure dude's tree. <laughs> he was like, nah, not right now. Yeah. Who writes that? Like, was that like on the script or did y'all just wing that? Well, yeah, that was in the script, but we throw little things in, you know, in between. Like, man, what you mean? I mean, no, you know, that part was- That's funny. But, yeah. but going back to what you were saying about people of color like, being more prone to be wrongly accused for certain things. I mean, like the only times I could think of like, you know, you know, uh, non-blacks being falsely, it's all non-fiction. Like mm -hmm. the A-Team and Rambo. Those are the only white people I can think of off the top of my head that was wrongly accused for something because it's about the media spin. Like, yeah. you know, the media sells these murder, death, kill stories 
to middle America. And granted, yes, we are committing crimes, but other people are committing crimes as well. Yeah. But the people who actually watch a lot of the news, who will actually pay for the advertising, are, you know, middle and upper class white people. And that's so they it, sell that narrative, which creates an overall picture that all, you know, makes everybody think we're, we're dangerous. And it's like also environment is so important. People don't understand this. If you're in the hood and you're in the ghetto and you're in a situation where you got to survive and you got to do certain things, obviously you're going to be more prone to get involved in that kind of behavior because your environment, you don't have no choice. Even it's even uh, alluded to in this film, we'll call it. When he went into prison, he wasn't going in there trying to be on a who rides, trying to start, but he was in an environment that caused him at certain points to have to do certain things. And when you get in certain environments, you have to act yes to them and then people will put a whole group of people in one little environment but they say it happened by accident put a whole bunch of little group of people in the environment and then it start popping over there they say oh look at those people over there but it's like if you concentrate in an environment where you suck away the resources what do you think people gonna do yeah it's gonna turn into afghanistan it's gonna turn into chirac it's gonna turn into a ghetto in the hood and then they go to them same ghetto hoods and then they round them up and they count all the crimes and then they want to reflect it back but no one wants to look at the deeper implication behind that so you know but anyway I think these we digress, but these still. These conditions get created. Yeah, You yeah. know, and it's going to take a lot of undoing. Uh, Colin Warner, uh, were there any other people that were locked up with you that you also felt were innocent and that weren't as lucky as you to get out? I mean, I met a few. I met guys in prison that asked the question, what the hell are you doing here, right? I got guys telling me the story, and next week the, the story changed. So it's a mixture yeah. of a lot, right? But I can tell you, man, there's a lot of people in, in prison who are innocent. They are voiceless, penniless, no family structure. They are just there, right? And I'm praying that eventually some type of assistance will come their way. But I truly believe that if they don't make any type of movement, nothing will be changed, right? So... Work with a little bit you got. I had nothing at one time, right? I tried to build. And from this building, here is where I'm at now. So if I could do it, you could do it. There it is. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in the studio, Colin Warner, thank you so much for your story. Lakeith, continue the great work. Thank you, man. I believe thank you every time you act. Oh, thank you. I, I read something the other day uh, says you was interested in playing the Joker and the Joker. I, I, I believe it. I could totally see you doing it, man. I put that on Twitter and it blew up, and, and that's my giving to the universe. So whatever universe does with it, holler at a black Joker because y'all ain't gonna have one like that. Yo, big shout out to my man Lakeith Stanfield. This brother's out there in the field doing some phenomenal work right now. And uh, also, big shout out to Colin Warner for not only having the courage to endure what he endured, but also being able to share his story with the world that means a lot because there are thousands of Colin Warners all across the country. Now, once you get out of prison, where do you go from there? Anybody who's been trapped up in the system, you know how hard it is to get back in the game. You know, you got different jobs hating on you, not willing to give you an opportunity because you passed. Like, you didn't just serve your time or whatnot. You got a apartment complexes fronting on you, saying they ain't gonna let you live there because the other neighbors might feel a certain way about it. And, you know, truthfully, it's not fair. It's really not fair, man. These people have paid their debt to society and they're just trying to get back in. So, hopefully, my next guest can help the people that are going through those situations out with that. She goes by the name of Lori flowers she has a book called the seat at the table and it's telling you how to get the job you want check it out welcome in the head crack after hours we All have right. a good friend of mine Lori flowers who actually uh, dropped a book 
yes. called A Seat at the Table, a book that tells you how to get the job that you want, which I think is important on multiple levels. I think so too. And that's why I'm so excited about it because not only it tells you about how to get the job, but how to keep the job. Okay. Everything from office decorum to your elevator pitch to how to run a meeting, how to conduct yourself. I think those are all important. Most people who don't have a criminal background, they kind of come into the game on somewhat of a level playing field. Now, right now, I want to try to like reach out to a demographic of people who kind of have the cards stacked mm -hmm. against them a little bit. People who maybe just got finished getting out of the penal system or have been mm -hmm. incarcerated. They really make it hard for you to mm -hmm. reacclimate yourself into society. Mm -hmm. What do you think the best tips are? for someone who's coming out of that situation, what, what can they do? I think it is really a tough situation, but it is, it, it's very common. And I've actually talked to um, a, a person in particular that was in that situation. But one thing about um, this individual, and I do remember very clearly, prior to his interview, he prepared. And when I say prepared, I mean, I know you've been locked up. You may not be aware of this programs and services, you know, but literally Google's your friend. Right. Go to Google, look up programs that are going to help you. On top of that, wherever you're going to interview, you need to research the company. You need to uh, brush up on your 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 handshake, uh, your elevator pitch, which is, you know, you don't have to say, oh, I've been locked up, but really hone in on what are you good at? You know, hey, my name is James and I, you know, I'm good with people. I'm do this and do that. You're going to have to really reinvent yourself. And it is possible. Got you. Now, you are actually in a position and have been in positions all throughout your career where you could say yes or no in regards to hiring somebody. Yes. So if somebody came in, you know, and noted that, you know, they had a, like, you know, a little mm -hmm. running with the law, a little mm -hmm. infraction. Okay. They kind of went away to camp. Yeah, know, they went away to camp. A little bit. As an employer, do you initially kill that person off in your head? Or do you, you know, you read the rest of it and at least do the interview and hear them out? Wow, that's a great question. You know what? I, I like to be wowed. And when I say wowed, despite your background, if you've been in camp and you haven't been in society, you can still wow me. Because mm -hmm. that doesn't, just because you've been in camp and you've been under doesn't mean you're not, you're an idiot. You right. still have skills. And if I can see that you're at least trying or have done a little research, I keep saying research because that's what it is all about is sitting down, putting your head down and figuring out what it is that, uh, where you're going, researching that and then working on yourself. So I don't totally write it off. Like I'm open. So I literally sit there and, your interview is your stage. So take the stage, uh, tell me who you are, shake my hand, do those little things that shows me that you're serious about it and that you've done your part. Now, what if I'm in desperado mode? Ooh. A lot of people have uh, said no, slammed the door in my face. I've been uh, rehabilitated mm. and I need to get this job. I leave that information off about the time I spent away. I razzle dazzle you in the interview, mm -hmm. but you find out later on the background mm -hmm. check that I lied about it. What happens from that point? Okay, and so that, that depends on the company. Our company uh, that we work for, you won't be able to get any further, unfortunately. And that's crazy. You know, I know. Like, clear transparency. Like, we work at a radio station, right? We do. I would want to hire the person who actually did some time because you're living the life. I know. You're, you're, I know. <laughs> I feel like people on the air mm -hmm. should reflect all backgrounds of life. You know not, what? You make a good point. Not everybody went to school. They did Not didn't. everybody... You know, not everybody came from a, a two-parent home. That is true. It's a, it's these different stories and these different people's experiences that, is that very make true. people different. And you got to figure out how to use these people's expertise. And that's it right in the, there. In the workforce. They've got to figure out their expertise too. But back to what your original point, it, it, it is sad because they do get shut down mm -hmm. uh, because of that background in some situations. 
because you're responsible. You're at a radio station. You're having to drive vehicles possibly or be amongst equipment. And it's just unfortunate. Well, it depends on the level of the it crime. It depends on the level. Like if you if if you got arrested for embezzling money from a company, <laughs> I'm not going to put you in sales and finance. Exactly. But maybe I might put you like on the sales and marketing side to where like you go get us new clients. So maybe they're out hustling in the streets exactly. and they've got that drive. And see, that's what I could see. That drive, mm-hmm. like I want to make it. So I'm going to get out in these streets and bring some clients back and I'm going to really promote whatever it is that I'm promoting. I wish there was like just a better way to shake the stigma that jail and incarceration yeah. has on people who are in uh, positions of influence because at the end of the day most people that get out of jail they don't want to go back they don't. I mean you have a small percentage of people who when they get back out into the real world they real, they feel like they're more better suited to live and survive yeah. behind bars and they put themselves back but yeah. the system kind of makes it that way there's like there are people I've talked to and dealt with who when they get out not only will people not hire them mm-hmm. they can't even get apartments Oh, they're shunned. Any place other than like the bad part of town where other people who are from a certain element are. So it kind of creates this vicious cycle where you actually end up back in. You can't get a job. You can't live in a nice... Yeah, you're right. It's just not a good cycle. It's almost like one of those... You remember you used to do those little mazes that used to come in like magazines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, (laughs) you're 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 drawing through it with the little line. You are, but then you... You keep hitting these walls or ended up back where you, you know, started from. That's a good analogy. it's just so frustrating because I, I know a lot of people who are just trapped in the system. And they want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And they end up going back to hustling. Mm-hmm. Which leads them back to their camp. It, it's almost like it's we're going to fix the fight. Yeah. So you end up back where you started from. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, just, you know, you got all these people getting free labor off of people. Yeah. When they get incarcerated. It frustrates me. I would just still go back to the old, my old fashion. Because I believe I'm old school, but I believe it works. And that is just working on yourself. Yeah. And whoever you're coming across, if you... If you are displaying your, you know, the positive parts of yourself and you're showing your skill set, I believe that you have a better chance than, you know what I'm saying? I just, I, nothing I can do. That's going to shut me down because you ain't trying. Yeah, you got to keep trying. Now, for regular people okay. who maybe have been with a company for like 10 years mm-hmm. or maybe even 30 years, because you got a lot of people who actually get with, be with companies for so long, mm-hmm. they kind of age out because it's cheaper for the company to cut these people off and bring in somebody new mm-hmm. that they could pay way less. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get back into the workforce. Your resume is 20 years old. Mm. How do we spruce this up and put you in a position where you can get a new competitive job within mm-hmm. your skill set, but you're still not playing yourself financially? I think it's two parts. Number one, I believe in the power of networking. Um, besides your resume, networking is really what's going to get you in the door. We get a stack of resumes and I could literally just look at them and I'm just writing them off. But if I know of someone who they may have been out of the workforce or they've been in for a while and, you know, but, but the network is so strong. And if they say, oh, you know what? Judy is really good. She is this and that. That's because she's built her network. And I think that is important. Gotcha. And then as far as your resume, I mean, yeah, you do have to put the dates down, but you can make sure that on those dates, you were talking about how you were um, helping the company or bringing in revenue. It just ha- is the way that you word it. And sometimes you don't really, I wouldn't necessarily put the dates of when you were in college. People are going to research themselves, mm-hmm. but you don't have to say, I was in college in 1963. Gotcha. You could just, you know what I mean? You could just keep say, it keep it generic. People can kind of figure out by your work, by, you know. Do, do they really look that up? Like if you went to mm-hmm. college, and they do? I do. What's the program you use, if I may ask? Google. Oh, are you even Google with college? I you can go well, not necessarily, but you got to be a little, little, you know, kind of dig a little deep. Now, I won't be able to see what you studied per se. It mm-hmm. depends on how the person is. If they're off the board, totally, I won't be able to really. see Here's the ill part: like me and my dad have the same name, 
Oh, first and last. So that's... And he went to college around the time where technically I should have went to college. Okay. So okay. vicariously through my dad, I have an associate's degree in paralegal science. Really? So and like so that pops up. So if I wrote that down on my resume and you look it up, he, his thing's going to pop up and not and mine. And we're like, wow, look at that. Head crack for the win. Head crack for the win. Yeah. What? There's nothing you can't Google and figure out how to do that. Google is amazing. That's why the, the whole infrastructure of what college is kind of frustrates me. Yeah. Because they yeah. really price it out for people. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and I was like, you know, the way the system is set up, there are three benchmarks they financially put in front of you okay. to keep you in debt your entire life. Mm. When you're born, it's yep. going to cost you $7,000 minimum, unless you you know, your mother lies and says she don't know who your father <laughs> right, is. Right, right. You know, like get a little Medicaid help there. Okay. Um, right. Second, college. Everybody can't afford to go. We're racking up all these crazy fees to go to these universities. And here's the thing. You get this piece of paper. Yeah, and- like, if I put in the work and I went online and took, a, you know, took a, a prep course online mm-hmm. and learned the information that I mm-hmm. need to know for the job, mm-hmm. that should be enough. What if I don't have time to go to a university yeah. and do the regular college routine that most people do? Exactly. At the end of the day, are you hiring me based on the fact that I know the information or hiring me based off the fact that I tricked off enough money and That's contributed to the financial system and took out a loan that I had to pay all this interest and up? still paying. That's a good point. And then people get out after paying all this money and still can't afford to pay their loans because they can't get the job that their degree you know, set them in trajectory to get. So the funny thing is, I don't really use my degree. I have a master's degree. In what? Uh, master's of mass communication. Okay. Um, an undergrad in English. Did you do radio at all at any point? Exactly, no. No? Oh, wow. I was going to be an anchor woman. Okay, I could totally see you doing So that. I was going to be Miss News. So fast forward to today, I also am an adjunct professor for uh, an online college. Really? And so I'm using my master's degree with that, finally. But I didn't use my master's for any, any sort of radio. You know what I mean? It was networking. And it was uh, just experience and internships. You seem smart. You paid off your loan quick, didn't you? I was, well, yeah, I was paid off. My parents <laughs> took care of me. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. So you didn't, you didn't have to do the, what, the, the Sally Mae? Is it Sally Mae? I didn't do, yeah, Henry and Diana, they took care of me. Yeah, I, went to, I went to school so briefly because I saw it for the ripoff it was. I went to an acting school for like a semester. Oh, okay. And I realized that, hey, you're just cranking out people. You, these people yeah. Aren't, these part, people aren't really leaving with any real with stuff skills. that they can go and do something with. It's about experience. True indeed. Hindsight twenty twenty. I wish I would have finished it because when I like checked mm-hmm. back in just to see how much it was, like eight years later, yeah, it was like literally four times more. Wow. Expensive than it would have been it, if mm-hmm. I would just thugged it out. But it's just I'm one of the people when I see something I don't like or I realize, mm-hmm. hey, this is a scam. Yeah. I leave. You already see it. I'm out because you out of there. Life is short. And yeah. then I fortunately went to a community college. Yeah. Intern for a semester and got the job that I wanted within a semester working for a record company. See, interned. And then I never went back. I'm on a break from college right now because okay. I don't think I'm ever going back. It's okay though. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. I feel like it is kind of, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I do see people, they graduate and they're in my LinkedIn talking about, okay, now what do I do? You got a job for me? But they don't have any experience. Yeah. So, so that's, that's benchmark number two where they really financially press you. So mm-hmm. the college okay. thing. So, yep. like, so now you have to slave yourself out into the workforce in mm-hmm. order to pay these things back. And at the end of the day, you're paying up so much interest. Not as much interest if you owe the IRS per se, but mm. a gang of interest. And then fast forward to when you get to that like 50, 60 years of age, mm-hmm. when all of a sudden like the parts on your body start breaking Ugh. down and then you're going to the hospital for all these visits, Medicaid oh, really medicine, covering everything. Right, right. They're, giving, they, they're prescribing you drugs <laughs> just so you can have to take another drug just 
on so top you of can that survive. Drug. You on yes. So you end up die. You die. End up owing all this money oh, to like so random depressing. hospitals, and then your your, your relatives have to they take, gotta on take it on. They got to take it on. It's a cycle. You know, mama's bill was this much and she's, yeah, uh, it is a cycle. So how do we get out of it? Everybody needs to start their own business and we got to figure out we can sell drugs legally. No, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> it is a cycle and it's a very true cycle. Yeah. And that debt cycle is is not a joke. Like and the crazy paying thing is, to, when you look at countries who yeah. don't charge for medical bills mm. and let people go to school for free. You see that? There's a whole bunch of weird things that come with that too. Like uh, one, of our, <laughs> one of my coworkers, she just went to Cuba and like med, uh, healthcare is free over there and so is education. Uh-huh. But, you yeah. know, by her account, the, the country's pretty f***ed up. Okay. And it's like, well, why, why can't we have all three? Why can't we have free education, we? free healthcare yeah. and not be under a dictatorship and have it be like a communistic... Right. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about socialism? Don't get me started on that route. Please. No, me and my friends argue about this all the time. Do you really? Let's get started. Because, like, really? I'm one of those people who feel like, hey, listen, I pay my taxes. Okay. And I can't dictate or tell you where my tax money needs to go. And same thing with other people. There are people who are paying for schools who have no children. Maybe your interests are more so lie in the fact that- And see, we- that's I feel you on that because I don't have any children. And mm-hmm. to pay for other- I just don't feel like I should. You like, yeah, damn that school, right? I kind of feel like that. But I don't want to say that. But yeah, but you I ha- it's do. your right though. It is my it's right. Your right I don't want to. I don't, yeah, that's not my that's not my problem. Taxes should go towards your vested interest. I think so. Because they're taking 30, sometimes 40% out of your true. wages. Oh, that and is you so true. You should be able to dictate where that goes. And that is true. Because it doesn't matter that little Rebe's kids and all I don't have them, so I don't care. And I don't want to sound insensitive, but that's kind of how I feel about it. It is what it is. Like, Philip Drummond, I'm a man of peace. I don't want my tax money going to fund missiles. Right. I would rather my tax money fund education. Education. And better health care for, like, you know, I was talking to my grandmother, and, like, she don't understand. What I tell Mm -hmm. her things, and her mind gets blown. I was like, hey, you know, like... They put stuff in food to make it grow faster. And like when you eat it, you kind of take on like those same problems. Uh-huh. And she, like, her mind was completely everybody blown. everybody's sick. Really? I actually also broke down to the fact to her that little Richard was gay. And she was blown, oh, mind God. blown by that. <laughs> Yo, my grandmother is such a sweet lady. She's so naive, but I, lo- I love it to pieces. Stop it. So, but so you have so many people walking around that don't know. They don't, don't know. And don't understand like how certain things work. And it's just. Like, well, and that's the thing. There's a lot of people that don't know, which is why I go back again to research yes. and Google. I mean, I don't want to whatever your research tool is. I just feel like the information is out there. Yeah, Google never bang. Like, just put it in there. You want to know something? Put it in. There. You want to know how to 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 go to an interview? Put it in. There. It's it's available. So back on the job thing. If there was like three programs mm-hmm. that everybody should know, if mm-hmm. you're trying to compete in the workforce, okay, what would you say those programs? Are? Like computer programs? Yes. Word, PowerPoint, Excel. And these are pretty easy things. They're very easy. And if you don't know, you can Google or you can go to YouTube. You can figure it out. The tutorials are everything. The tutorials are everything. And that's when you've got to invest in yourself. And people don't want to take the time to sit and do things that, you know, they may not know. They want to watch TV. They want to be on in the social media. But you got to be focused on what is it you're trying to learn. And that's when it goes back to the person. What is the craziest thing you taught yourself off of YouTube? You really want to know? Yeah. Eyebrows. Really? And you have beautiful eyebrows. (laughs) I almost want to take a picture of your eyebrows and use this as the thumbnail for this particular episode. Actually, I'm totally going to do that. Hold on a second. Eyebrows. Hold on. Everything. One second. Let me get... Do you mind? I don't mind. All right, cool. And three, two, and bam. I don't think they're popping today, but hey. Not a cool...
You know, I was totally gonna actually use it as a thumbnail for this episode, but I just realized that actually would have been weird and some of y'all wouldn't have got it, so I didn't. But you should look her up on Facebook. Lloyd Flowers, great eyebrows. Yeah, you know, yeah. some people they do their do eyebrows the... wrong, right. wrong and bad. I saw a video the other day of Kiki Wyatt. She was crying in a car. I think a dude left her. And um, one eyebrow was like really high. Yes. So I didn't know if she was answering a question or what or was, if it was going on. <laughs> right. There's a lot going on. All right. but, uh, but I learned how to barbecue off of YouTube. Did you really? Absolutely. This wow. is called the Barbecue Pit Boys. Okay. They will tell you how to do everything from make ribs to sauce. Really? Yeah, they're pretty legit. You see that? Now I got to figure out how to make vegetarian things off there because I, I just watch What the Health like everybody Did else. Did What the Health mess you up to? No, here's the thing. I knew about a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. watching, and I'm not even all the way through it. I'm like 30 minutes in. Yeah. I get it. Been getting it for a long time. Yeah. You know, when you see a whole bunch of people get conscious or woke, as they say at the same time, yeah. you start to kind of move that direction. And I'm starting to realize there's more like vegetarian things that I like. I feel you. That I can totally get with. So It's ironic. This week, my husband and I are doing a no meat um Week. We're doing pretty good. How you feel about it? It's good. I see. I like vegetables. Me too. But he's, you know, he he's he's making it. It's hard to break out of the pattern and do creative it is. things because, like, when you think vegetables, if you're not reading the right cookbooks, yeah. you're seeing dope recipes online, right? You're thinking broccoli, carrots, corn, right? Spinach. But you can spruce them up, put some olive oil and some seasoning and some. Yeah, don't get me going. Jazz but yeah. it up. Jazz it up. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about the three uh, programs everybody needs to know. Yes. Um. Far as like attire, when you're walking into a job interview, Oof. whether you're working in a coal mine or trying to get a job mm. at CeCe's Pizza, what should your attire be when you walk in? Again, I do have an old school uh, thought about this because I think sometimes people dress for what they think they're where they think they're going. Mm -hmm. So I see people that come to the radio station and they have a club outfit on. Uh, Ma'am, this isn't a club. You still need to be, you know, dressed generic interview attire. So with that said, whether it's a radio station, CC's Pizza, or a coal mine, I believe that a basic black pants or black bottoms, a white shirt, a tie for guys, and the women just kind of buttoned up. You don't need to have it pop your shirt popping open and maybe a little jacket. Something real basic so that your 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 outfit is not overtaking your interview. Gotcha. If you're walking in and everybody just sees they're not they're not paying attention to you. Like is there a fine line between doing it right and overdoing it? Yeah, you could overdo it. I had a young lady who came in, looked pretty nice, but the skirt was, the, the, the slit in the skirt was all the way to her behind. Mm -hmm. Like the skirt in the front was cute. She walked out and I just said, oh my goodness. And then too many, too much bracelets, jewelry, uh, loud accessories. accessories. You, you know, you're talking and you're jingling and I'm more looking at your bracelets than what you're saying. So you really want to, like, in an interview, you want to really mute it down. face. Yeah. More face than anything else. Right. Now, let's just say if somebody had a face tattoo uh, that's popular amongst these young people, uh, shout out to 21 Savage, shout out to uh, <laughs> even Iron Mike Tyson, who has that whole little tribal thing going mm. on, as an employer. And let's just say if I if I have a face tattoo and I know I have a face mm. tattoo and I'm coming in, but I maybe I throw some makeup on that day to cover it up. Mm. Day four of work. It comes off. It comes off. And you're like, why did I hire this dude with an upside down cross in the middle of his forehead? That's a tough one because I don't want to take those people out because they could be very good. But I think it depends on what you're applying for. Right. I don't think that you, you can't be in my department with that. I'm going to say that, you know, but maybe if you applying for uh, the coal mine or McDonald's or your, I'm so sorry. I some sound place, horrible. Some place where you won't be seen. Maybe a stalker in the back. Yeah. yeah overnight crew. Overnight crew. Go for it. I get it. I hate to say that, but it's so... Image is everything, and that's it what is. people look at. Like, if I went to a daycare and I picked up my child, and, you know, you got a dragon on your cheek, maybe I'm going to be taking my kids somewhere else. Yeah, it's yeah. A, well, think thing. about that, would you? You Absolutely. walk in and... But they dressed okay, but they got 
I'm judgy. I'm I am a, too. No, no, I'm, it's weird. I'm, People are. I'm judgy, non-judgy. Because okay. I feel like the right person for the right situation per yeah. se. And I don't want to be like, there's a difference between being, well, okay, you can look at it from the standpoint of, well, if they hired him, he must be a great guy. He got he passed the background check. Yeah, he must have been, you know, he must have razzled. Creative. Maybe the depth. kids color it in. See? <laughs> it's part of the curriculum. Yeah, like the that color could be a thing. <laughs> See, it's good to have an open mind. My mind is like a window. Sometimes it's half open, sometimes Me too. it's half closed. Me too. And I, I'm trying to do better. I'm Me trying to, too. I'm trying to work on that part. But Me some too. some of it is just like, you know, just common damn sense. Right? I don't want to stereotype, but I I I do. I do. So it's something we have to work on. Lloyd Flowers, thank you so much. The name of the book is called A Seat at the Table. And if people want to pick it up, where do they go? They can go to loriflowers.com or Amazon. Okay. And Lori Flowers is spelled the way you would think. L-O-R-I Flowers. Got you. If you spell it with a Y, you're not going to get the job. You're not going to get it. You're right. not going to get the book either. So there Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming through. I Definitely. think you helped some people today. I hope so. God bless. God bless. Oh, man, big shout out to Lloyd Flowers. Big shout out to Colin Warner. Big shout out to Lakeith Stanfield. I'm telling you, I know dope people. And the episodes is only going to get doper and doper. Hopefully, this episode, like the other ones, took your mind off things for a little while and maybe uh, helped you elevate to another level that maybe you wasn't on yet, man. We all here trying to grow on this little stupid planet that we live on, and we trying to live as long as we can and make the best out of it, right? Well, anyway, this episode is being brought to you by TheShirtOfTheMonth.com. You're probably walking around with nothing to wear. Don't be looking like no cave person go to the shirt of the month.com whether you're man female or somebody who's just in between trying to figure it all out they got something for you you select you rock you repeat no questions asked the shirt of the month.com check them out today before i dip up out of here gotta remind y'all be sure you subscribe comment share with others it's head crack after hours if you're checking us out on the ios app be sure you leave a comment and rate us those things are important share them with others if you're listening on soundcloud also be sure you like and leave a comment as well if you're listening on Stitcher, uh, Stitch or whatever the hell they do on Stitcher, like, you know, share that too. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, your interaction lets us know how often we need to be rocking these, man. Had to meet with my agency recently and he's like, yo, crack, you really need to drop these once a week. But, you know, I'm only going to drop if the demand is there. And so far, I look like it's getting there. So keep me motivated and I'm going to keep motivating y'all, man. Say crack after hours. Peace and love to you all. And I'm going to catch you on the next lap, all right? In the meantime, I'm out. You got to. Get up.